You're listening to Steve Dace On Demand. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live on the blaze on demand at CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We're going to ask you to join us a little bit later on in this hour at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Going to try and hand out a few helmet stickers uh, later on in this hour. We're going to have a little Theology Thursday returns next hour as well. And on the basis of what uh, some of our friends in conservative media were discussing, uh, as, a re- as regarding the anniversary of the Reformation, uh, watching that go on on Twitter yesterday, and uh, some of our Catholic and Protestant friends, and some of the questions that prompted some of you in the audience to ask us, because you follow us and a lot of the same people, we've got a unique situation here on our show, in which we have. A, very, a fairly knowledgeable layman Catholic and a fairly knowledgeable layman evangelical who are very good friends and therefore believe they have permission to say what they really think without having to hurt anybody's feelings or taking it personally. And so, then there's Aaron. And then there's Aaron, who is... Aaron grew up in an evangelical home, but he's a millennial, so you're never really sure what side he's on, all right? He can, as Aaron can turn on you as a millennial. He can turn on you at any moment. So we're really never I've sure. I've never heard a more accurate description of me in my life. <laughs> so whenever Todd and I get into it, we actually kind of then go to the children, have them decide, okay? When After dad and dad are done arguing, we then go to the kids. Because you really don't know. You may you think you know, as the great prophet Jim Moore once said, you think you know, but you don't know, and you never will. You don't know what side Aaron is on, right? So uh, we'll have this conversation uh, coming up uh, in the third hour today on Theology, or second hour today on Theology Thursday. I got some people excited. Already people are asking for a third hour. If you want a third hour, you know what it's going to take, man. We're capitalists here, right? So, but no, it's the second hour, next hour. All right, let's begin as we always do with a rundown. Here's what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the messaging you're looking for. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, please step out of the hallway. I'll just make the entire country choke on that for the next four days or so, and maybe next week you'll have a fighting chance. Also, blue checkmark journos were having an aneurysm over this, and it was epic and everything you thought it would be. Trump also said yesterday the number of troops sent to the U.S. border could be as high as 15,000 people. 30% of active registered voters in the state of Florida have now voted 
and Republicans still have almost a two-point lead. That's according to a Politico Florida correspondent by the name of Mark Caputo. Project Veritas's latest sting is on the offices and campaign of Florida gubernatorial nominee for the Democratic Party, Andrew Gillum. We have to appeal to white guilt. All right, so how well, would you do that? Because that's white. what it is. That's what it is. So, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that track. So tell I mean, me. If you can say, have a real conversation about what it is, good evening. you're going to be screwed. That's not the only story surrounding the Tallahassee mayor's campaign. Ethics questions have been peppering him in recent weeks and most recently allegations that he paid for a private plane with city money. An NBC News poll found that only about a third of millennials say they're planning on voting next week. 59% say they're not familiar with who their congressional candidates are. Don Lemon is doubling down. So people who were angered about what I said are missing the entire point. We don't need to worry about people who are thousands of miles away. The biggest threats are homegrown. And finally, an admittedly intoxicated American Airlines baggage handler fell asleep on the job and ended up flying from Kansas City to Chicago in the belly of a Boeing 737. Don't laugh, we've all been there before. And that's what happened while we were away in two minutes or less. Um, Don Lemon is correct. This will be an unpopular opinion, but he is correct. Um, I see what you're doing here. Yeah, I, I like do it. Too. The, the greatest threats are homegrown, and I would presume he could see at least some part of his own reflection into the teleprompter as he was speaking into the camera there, if you know what I'm saying. So maybe self-awareness isn't dead after all. Then there's his buddies at Planned Parenthood. They kill about what? It's like 180,000 Americans a year or something like that. Isn't that the number? They take they, they put the knife or the vacuum uh, or the scalpel to about 180,000 Americans a year. I mean, ISIS can't kill that many people, at least not that many Americans. So um, neither can any other uh, foreign threat to the U.S. right now. So uh, I'm, I, I don't think that's probably the context he was applying here, gentlemen, but if we just took his statement at face yeah. value, is it not accurate? Unintentional journalism is the best journalism. Unintentional <laughs> 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 uh, Though, you know what, though? If, if, if we're doing kind of hate the game, not the player capitalism here, do you know how much run Don Lemon's... I mean, when, other than this, there was his racist Kanye West panel. What was it, like two weeks ago? All right. Other than those two moments... This moment, the two racist moments on Lemon's show as of, uh, that have been recent. When, is, when do we talk about him ever? I don't think we ever have. Yeah, when, when does his name even come up in, what's in, in, the, in the America we live in, the what's left of America, America? When does his name even come up? I talk about him every night at supper with no one. Exactly. This is, this is, this is the most attention he's ever gotten. This is probably a boon to his ratings, guys. I got to believe that at least 64 people watched last night. That's a good five dozen. That's up at least a dozen from when he's typically drawn over there on CNN. Um, the millennial voting thing, I found that fascinating. You know, with the conversation we had last week with our buddy David Yepsen, trying to get a more holistic view of the election from a guy who operates 
outside of the normal tribalism that we inhabit or that progressive media inhabits. Meaning, you know, David may be more uh, liberal on some issues than us, but he actually tries to practice. He's one of the few, the proud, someone trying, the remaining people trying to practice some semblance of actual journalism in America. Okay. And, and his big concern when we asked him what he thought could sway the election was the millennial vote that he thought that would, that was really something the Democrats were counting on was your generation, Aaron. And I think you can, you can speak for your generation here. If there's one thing we should never do with your generation, it is count on. Yes. <laughs> I was going to interrupt you and say the same thing. <laughs> that was, that was your first mistake. The, the next Wednesday, Democrats get up like what in the Sam Hill happened? And the millennials are like, that was your first mistake. There's the greatest generation and the don't count on them Listen, generation. I, I, I have, I, I've not, even though we aren't wonky in this election like we have been in years past, I still am a wonk at heart. I'm still studying trends and things of that nature. And let me just say right now, as a wonk, you know, hi, I'm Steve Dace. I'm an election wonk. Hi, Steve. I'm recovering. I'm a recovering wonk. All right. As a wonk, I, I still am skeptical, very skeptical that Republicans can hold the House, Okay. But I will say this as a wonk. If you're at a Democrat Party retreat where you guys are doing your private strategizing and one of your consultants says, all right, right now Hispanics aren't really engaged, but we really are seeing great response from the millennials. Walk away. Yeah, that's, that don't, don't go with that strategy. Don't, that's, that's, the, that's the Democrat version of uh, Trump's going to get like 27% of the black vote because of one writer's poll. All right, that's the that's that's your believe in your own feces doesn't stink stuff. That universe doesn't exist. No universe exists where there's going to be a blue wave because Hispanic voters, according to Politico's numbers, are are under mobilized in this cycle. But millennials are going to show up in droves. That's not how this works. Avocado toast is not on the ballot. Guys. <laughs> that's not how. That is not how any of this works. And it's not. And, and I'm, I know I pick on the poor millennials, but. This was true with our generation, right? Remember, our generation was going to show up in droves and swing elections. No, it never works that way. Whenever you're counting on huge, the one possible exception uh, in 2008, which was really the first social media election, and Obama did see a surge of youth vote, but then he didn't, those, those same youth, that same youth vote didn't show up nearly in those same numbers in 2012. And and Barack Obama did something no American president has ever did what Barack Obama did in 2012. He is the first American president, and the only so far, to win re-election by getting less vote in the Electoral College and popular vote than he received when he was first elected. Typically, presidents are re-elected in America about 70% of the time. Historically, it's about like 68.79%. Okay, So 70% of the time in America, incumbent presidents who run for re-election get re-elected. And then all of them but one who have ever done this. And I'm talking from uh, the uh, uh, Jefferson winning re-election in like 1807 on. This number has held, all right? Uh, The only one who won re-election without growing their support, meaning getting more votes in the Electoral College and more of a percentage of the popular vote than they did when they were first elected. The only one who won re-election by diminishing his base was Barack Obama. Every other president in American history who was re-elected, and they're almost always re-elected, uh, every other one who was ever re-elected did so by growing his base. And, and what was the number one culprit that caused Obama not to grow his base? depressed turnout amongst youth so when the novelty of the social when when because by the time we got to 2012 people figured out those were actually robocalls and not michelle obama was on the phone calling you when i know aaron's gonna laugh 
We thought that in 2007, 8, 9. We didn't know. You pick up your phone. I pick up my phone. It was like, this is uh, Dick Cheney. I'm like, man, I knew Iowa was a sweet state. Didn't know we were that important. And how to get my number, right? You know, back in those days, we thought those emails were really, f- and, and until it was like the eighth time they said, guys, we're going to lose, send money. But, in, it, but back in 07, 08, 09, we thought, we didn't know yet. You know, now, by the time we got to 2012, we realized these are, you know, mass chain emails and robocalls, and it's not the real person. But in the 08 election cycle, we were kind of new to a lot of this stuff. And that personal touch, I think, did drive out a lot of those youth voters. And when we got to 2012, you had the typical, you know, a depressed voting block called the youth vote that you had when we Gen Xers were going to swing elections for Democrats. This has kind of been the Democrat, you know, each side has the, has the mythology that they're convinced this next time is going to happen, right? It's the black vote for us. On the right, it's the black vote. And, 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 it, and some of it largely stems from the fact that before Martin Luther, before John F. Kennedy picked up a phone and called Martin Luther King Jr. in jail, the Republicans were the party of the black vote. Going back to Lincoln as the emancipator, the Democrats were the party of reconstruction. Uh, it, I think it was Harry Truman in the 48 election. The number one reason that he upset Thomas Dewey is he got a higher percentage of the black vote than any Democrat had received in American history because he integrated the armed forces. All right. And that was something, you know, pollsters in 1948, first of all, polling was in its infancy. And second of all, they didn't call black people in 1948. You know, they just didn't. So uh, they didn't see that this wide swath of, uh, and he almost got 50% of it. It was almost a 50-50 split between Dewey and Truman in 1948. And that's what led to Truman holding, getting this massive upset over Thomas Dewey. Um, Jackie Robinson, the, uh, you know, the guy who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, who was probably, other than Frederick Douglass, the most famous black man in America um, you know, it, 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 until 50 years ago, uh, he was he endorsed Nixon in 1960 over JFK. He campaigned with Richard Nixon in that election. So I get why some of us on the right have this myth- mythological view that we're going to recover the black vote because some of the people on the right are old enough to remember when you could compete for that. But ever since 1968, Republicans have never gotten more than 12% of the black vote ever. And most of those years, they didn't even get double digits. But that's the mythology. There's always a new plan. You know, Jack Kemp, when we were kids and had enterprise zones in the 80s, and this was going to be, there's every decade, there's a new plan on the right, how we're going to get the, the black vote in record numbers that we've never gotten before. On the left, it's always been the youth vote. And it was the youth vote for Gen Xers when you and I were growing up. And, uh, and, that, and now it's the youth vote millennials. It's always there's going to be this huge outpouring of liberalized college students that are going to swing elections. And it, it, none of these mythologies have really ever come true. I don't even think in 08 when it did, it came true for the reasons that the left thinks. I think the social media newness factor was a major reason why it happened because – Back four years later, same exact candidate couldn't duplicate that when the when the newness, the hot new hotness of social media was no longer a thing. So uh, I'm not saying that, that Tuesday still won't be a good day for Democrats. I am saying it won't be a good day. I can promise you this. And maybe I shouldn't do this, but again, I'm a recovering walk. I would be more shocked that Donald Trump won three the three decisive states in 2020 by 75,000 votes like he did in 2016, I'd be more shocked at his ability to duplicate that. Or less shocked, I should say. I'd be less shocked at his ability to duplicate that than I would be that we're sitting here one week from now, guys, 
talking about, yeah, we did get that blue wave after all. And look, uh, low Hispanic turnout and huge millennial turnout. I, I don't think that's how, if you get a blue wave, I don't believe that's the formula that will end with that math. But you guys are welcome to disagree with me. No, I, I, I think you're right. And I think one thing, uh, a millennials, not, not necessarily just because they're progressives. Some of them, I just think, feel so frustrated and disenfranchised all the way around. I, I, I think that they don't really think of themselves as Americans the way previous generations, whether they were on the right or the left, thought of themselves. So they 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 disconnect. It's it's not just in terms of social media and the silos they live uh, in there. I think Steve, you, you you've often talked about the um, just with um, uh, well, people on the right tend to like the actual go to the polling place mm-hmm. as as opposed to actually early voting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the millennial generation is 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 just you know that sense of of civicness. I think they are uh, as disenfranchised from the American experiment in that regard as any generation before them uh, has ever been. And I don't think we really know even if they're passionate you talk about an issue they might you know vomit at the mouth about how they think somebody is a terrible person and needs to be defeated but in terms of what they're going to do how they're going to do it Mm -hmm. i think many of them um are just kind of writing the thing off yeah i would agree with that um because i think most millennials are very liberalized very progressive i think most i think the, the vast majority are I just think that either because they just don't like the political process, don't trust politicians, yada, 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 are just lazy, uh, hypocritical in, in what Todd was describing, whereas, you know, uh, this person needs to be defeated, um, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I think for a combination of all four of those, I think that's why you will not see, and maybe it was the same thing with you guys' generation as well, uh, but that's that's probably the main reason why you're seeing only, according to the NBC News poll, a third of millennials say they plan to vote next week. Because even though they're all progressive, it goes back to what you've been saying for months now, Steve. You don't have to win uh, a majority of voters. You have to win a majority of those who vote. Right. Um, and that's that's I think that harkens back to what we're talking about here. I, I think the Democrats could have a good day on Tuesday without the kinds of numbers of Hispanic turnouts that we've seen them have in recent cycles. I, I, I could make the math work that way. Okay. Meaning that they make huge inroads with suburban white women who um, have decided that uh, they can't even with Trump's antics anymore. I, I could see, I could see them. I don't believe Democrats nationwide will win suburban white women, but I could see them win enough of them that they could make up for lost gaps in, in lower than, than forecasted Hispanic turnout. And I think we also need to acknowledge Politico. I used to write there, so I know. I used to be a token conservative contributor there. Politico is a liberal media outlet. And you know one of the reasons why they could be writing an article a week before the election about concerns about Hispanic turnout is the same reason why, even though Ted Cruz has, has, has been leading consistently outside the margin of error for weeks in Texas now, they got one outlier poll that showed it was a four-point race again, and an email shows up in my email box. Guys, it's really close. All right? I mean, you're, you are sometimes looking for things to, to get your, the attention of, of your base so they don't get complacent and take things for granted. So it is just as possible that Politico wrote that article in order to get more Hispanic voters off of, you know, 
as a as a get out the vote effort as le- as it is legitimate analysis that this is a concern and heck they could have done it for both of those reasons meaning that it's a legitimate concern right now and they're writing the article right now in the hopes that that mobilizes their people see that's a big difference between them and us okay that's a huge difference between them and us and i go back to the poll that the rnc leaked about a month or two ago that in my career is my favorite poll well my second favorite poll um scott rasmussen back when rasmussen polling was credible because he was running it, he's not running it anymore, and and now it's it's just not credible. Um, but when Scott Rasmussen was running his polling firm before he sold it, he used to do this poll based on the old Bill Buckley line. It, it was Bill Buckley's line is that he'd rather be governed by uh, you know 100 random names out of the phone book than the than the faculty at Harvard. Isn't that wasn't that Bill Buckley's line back it's in the day? Something, something along those yeah. lines. And so Scott Rasmussen used to do a poll. Would, would you prefer to have 435 random names in the phone book in Congress or the members of Congress? <laughs> right? I love that poll he used to do. Um, one of my all-time other favorite polls is the one the RNC leaked a couple months ago, which said the number one problem they're, they're having with turning out or energizing Republicans is conservative media basically is doing such a good job of filleting these people and convincing them that what they, what they think they're seeing of this energy on the left is not true, that they're like, they think there's no possible way that the Republicans could ever lose and that it's all fake news. You're laughing, Aaron, because this is my all time, second all-time favorite poll. We have done such a good job of, of lying to you and giving you the shilling you want that you're believing. The feedback loop now is believing its own. That Somebody farted in our circle and the smell is kind of making its way back to whoever smelt it, dealt it. And we've all looked at each other and thought, eh, it kind of smells good, even though we're all repulsed at the exact same time. All right, so... That's not the way their, their media works when it gets to elections. Their media does that when it comes to issues. But when it comes to elections, if they don't think they're going to win, they go on offense. They get honest with each other. I, that's a difference. Like Fox is not going to run a poll that says so-and-so is the Republican is losing and he will lose unless you guys do blank. You know what I'm saying? No, Fox will be the group that will have you the that'll give you the poll that the last poll that John McCain led in the 08 election was theirs. That's what they will do. Because we just we seemingly even though we 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 mock the snowflakes, but we seemingly can't put up with any news that doesn't tell us we're going to win all the time. So conservative media, you guys don't most conservatives don't give us permission to give you critical news in the hopes that it will inspire you to alter an outcome before it happens. You want us to tell you that the outcome we see coming, we don't really see coming, and there's no Americans at the Baghdad airport. That's what most conservative media people want. On the other side, though, they don't do that. You know, and I, I, I go back to the thought exercise that uh, uh, your, uh, your predecessors here on the show and I did in the 2012 election, where I had Jen and Rebecca, the two w- uh, women who worked for me back then, and, and the three of us each agreed for six hours leading up to the on, the, on election day, we were going to monitor and live uh, blog what the coverage was on the cable networks. And I did MSNBC because I was doing contributor stuff for them during the election. At that, So I bit the bullet. And Rebecca did CNN before they went totally crazy. And, and Jen did Fox. And so we came in that night and Rebecca's like, man, after watching CNN for six hours, she's like, this is going to be really close. Jen's like, uh, Romney's got this thing one in the bag. And I came in and said, I think Romney's in trouble. But it wasn't because of the analysis I was getting on. I, what I watched on six hours on MSNBC on Election Day 2012 was not analysis. It was get out the vote. 
They literally used their network to say, here are the promises that Obama kept to you. He was going to do blank, 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 blank. He did all And now you owe him your vote. What Fox did is they brought Dick Morris and uh, Carl Rove out there with their whiteboards to tell everybody that it's all over. Romney's going to win independence and Republicans have to vote for Democrat for, for Romney. They have no choice. So Romney's going to win. Well, we, so they took their vote. The, so on Fox, they took the Republican base for granted. On MSNBC, they made the case to the Democratic base why you should vote. And what we see on Election Day is Mitt Romney did something, you know, and that, the, the, the 2012 election made history. Mitt Romney is the only presidential candidate in the modern era since we, since we started categorizing people as Republicans, Democrats, independents, and exit polling. Mitt Romney is the only presidential candidate in, that, in the modern polling era to win independence and lose the election. Never happened before. He did it. Won independence, lost the election. What was the phrase you just said like uh, 10 seconds ago? <clears throat> Took their base for granted. Yes. Yeah. Like Caleb Howe at Mediaite, who used to work at Red State, and I like Caleb a lot. And he, he was uh, tweeting today that CNN and MSNBC are doing open get out the vote for Democrats this morning on their shows. And I'm like, this is a Caleb, this is a Cal Ripken like streak. They do this almost every morning. All right. Well, well, Steve, are you saying Fox doesn't do that? They do, but they don't do it the way those guys do it. See, Fox will do Fox. Fox is more of a voice of whatever the mainstream Republican messaging is at that time. And most of the mainstream Republican messaging hates grassroots conservatives and takes people like us for granted. And so they're always making their case to undecided voters more than they're more than getting out their base. You know what I'm saying? MSNBC and CNN are not making a case to undecided voters. They're making a case to the voters they think have the most chance of voting for their people. And there's a big difference, guys. Because, Aaron, what do I always say? You just quoted in a minute ago. It is not who wins a majority of voters, is it? It's who wins a majority of the people that vote. This point was brought home just a couple days ago when uh, Pelosi was on the Stephen Colbert show. And Pelosi says, oh, we're going to take the House back. And Colbert's doing damage. He's, don't say that. Don't say that. He's mm-hmm. making your point. He's mm-hmm. like, no, no. Why aren't you cracking the whip? Why aren't you cracking the whip? Yes. Um, uh, she, so she was tr- just echoing establishment talking points that the uh, main and, – and Stephen Colbert is – I mean, he's – he, he may as he and Rachel Maddow are the same person in essence. Um, uh, they weren't having it. You know, they, they're going to go their own way. They're going to, uh, I mean, oftentimes uh, they, they will put uh, the party on the back in spite yes. of, of the party. Yes. Yes. Where, what yeah. Fox will do is Fox yeah. will go find a, a black or a Latino Democrat soldier mm. who thinks Democrats have gone too far left and he's switching Republican now. And that'll and 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 he'll be talked about like on every Fox primetime and show except Shepard Smith all day long. Okay, what MSNBC and CNN do is the is the progressive narrative as if there is no other narrative, and and they are they are looking both. to identify the people they know will turn out and vote and get them out there. Both parties and the networks that uh, represent those parties both take their bases for granted. Only one though takes for granted. That their base will vote. Yes, both on uh, uh, only one side. It seems like actually understands that. Hey, um, you know, polls are great, but when it comes down, when it you know, when it comes down to brass tacks, people still have to get up and vote on election day. So, yes, basically, uh, the leftist media, uh, boots on the ground, uh, reality-based trench warfare. Uh, the media on the right. Uh, you want to see my unicorn? Is that how yeah, you basically yeah. summed it up? Yeah, the, the idea of the, the, the that you put it exactly correct. 
the, the liberal media makes the case to liberal voters that why the Democrats have earned their vote. All right. The Republican media makes the case that your vote is taken for granted and we have to go find unicorn voters. You know, we, we got to go find the and, and then we'll find the one uh, half black, half Latino military guy who's offended at the Democrats anti-Americanism. And suddenly he speaks for like he, he represents or, a 30 percent swing or, of this of, of this block, will, which is not true. We will see at some point the artist formerly known as Bruce Jenner trotted out there. See, Republicans aren't bigots. Yes. Republicans are. That's the type of yes. stuff. Yeah. Okay, and that's hyperbole right now. Yeah. But that's the type of stuff that they'll do. That, that's and that's the difference yeah that's the difference tell me i'm wrong i might be wrong i don't know you guys what do you guys think i just agreed with you man i, I mean just, really it's I, unicorns versus and that when i said reality based on the left not based on their issues but the kind of thing it takes at the 11th hour yes or in the fourth quarter just, or whatever analogy how do you win that close game they they do they're more reality and this is the 11th regard. hour yes this is about turning out your p1s not finding the you know the the one christian who thinks that republicans have become too bigoted and he's voting democrat now he you might that person might exist and they'll be point zero 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 one percent of the electorate is a guy is a is a churchgoer who thinks the Republicans' new ad on immigration is racist, so he's voting Dem. He's not a block of voters any more than the one black military vet who is tired of the anti-American rhetoric of Democrats represents 30%, a 30% block swing of, de- of Republican voters. It's not None of this is true. And when you're in the final hour of the election, you need to be focusing on how do I find the people I know are the most likely to vote and turn them out? Carl Rove just called and wants to uh, let you know that Mitt Romney won the 2012 election. <laughs> I rest my case. All right. You know what? I want I want to hand out some helmet stickers, some good news when we come back. Stay tuned. Take your calls next. Back here on the Steve Day Show, live on the Blaze, on demand at CRTV. And phone lines are open right now. 800-888, I should say. 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. Here's what I want to do for the rest of this hour. Um, it's unavoidable to have to address a lot of negativity. And we try to do it as often as we can with having fun. You know, the two greatest pieces of advice I got when I first started in this business uh, is to be yourself after a while. It may work for a while, but after a while, people will spot and smell a phony. Uh, and then have fun. As often as you can, have fun, you know? And as the great prophet Snoop Dogg once said, ditto business, okay? So um, we try to have fun. Sometimes, you know, it's unavoidable not to have fun. But if we can have a moment where we let the air out of the balloon at least a little bit, we try to take advantage of that. One thing I think we need to be more intentional about, and we can't do it all the time because, frankly, it just doesn't, you know, we still have to draw enough viewers and listeners that people think it's worth giving us a paycheck. And happy, good news on a daily basis just doesn't drive interest from people as much as confronting the negative does. So, you know, there's a reason why no one's ever done a good news show because it wouldn't have as much ratings is the other news, the real news does. But when we have a chance to go out of our way, to single out things that are good, that are often criticized, and usually 
uh, for good reason, I, I think we should take advantage of that. For example, uh, the story that came out this week, and I shared it on our Facebook wall, uh, and, and it, which you can like us on Facebook at Steve Dace, and Todd puts a post up there each day where he takes a look at some of your feedback on the show as well. Uh, put it up on our Twitter account, at Steve Dace Show. And uh, there's a story of some local uh, Islamic communities there uh, in the Pennsylvania, in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that raised, what was it, like $700,000? Pretty big chunk of change. Yeah, I mean, near, it was nearly, it was more than a half million. I know that. It was more than a half million dollars they raised in just a matter of days for the victims of the, uh, the, the Pittsburgh synagogue uh, massacre. And if we're going to sit here and <clears throat> call our elected leaders to be honest and our military leaders and State Department leaders to be honest about what certain interpretations and applications of Islam have done to peoples throughout history and are doing to people in the world as we speak, then we also have to be honest when, even if it's a belief system we don't agree with, when it inspires people to behave in a way that is inspirational, I think we have a responsibility to point that out as well. And that's why I made sure to share that news about the, uh, the, the collection that uh, Muslims in Pennsylvania had taken for the Pittsburgh synagogue uh, victims. Similarly, kind of a lost art in America today seems to be customer service. And I'm going to share with you here in a moment a good customer service story from a, a place where you would not typically see one. And if you've got a good customer service story, you want to single some people out, I want to give you a platform to do that. We got, we got to hand out helmet stickers more often. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. So insurance companies are not really high on everybody's uh, most favored nation status list right about now, right? A lot of people are like, you know, I guess I'd rather have handle, work with an insurance company than the government, but it, some days it's a close call. <laughs> All right, so I, our, I got a call a week ago Sunday, so 11 days ago. I'm sitting down watching uh, my Detroit Lions, as I've done every Sunday of the NFL season since 1983. And I get a call, and it's our teenage daughter, our oldest teenage daughter on the line, and she's crying. So right away, you know your dad, Todd, that, you know what that feeling is, right? That's bad. Yep. That sinking feeling. Plus, Anna may be a girl, but as we like to say at our, sh- at our house, she's Steven Drag. She is not inclined to just get emotional, you know... For her to lose her composure means something bad has happened. And she's been in an accident. And she thinks everybody's okay, but the police and everything have just arrived. Um, thinks her car has been totaled. So I, I race out of the man cave, jump into my car, drive over to where the accident has taken place. One of the worst intersections we have in town. There's a, it's two-lane, two-way busy street on a hill. And at the top of the hill is the uh, freeway interchange on that street. And so I, I am surprised the cops just aren't called there for an accident like on a daily basis. It's, it's not a great intersection. What it, I know it won't make sense to most of our life. So I can envision it. What the 63rd Street intersection in Windsor Heights yeah. for the three people in Des Moines sure. listening to us right now. Got it. All right. So 
I'm sure wherever you live, you've got like, even in a, this is a residential neighborhood, but if you live in any kind of a metropolitan area, there's that one intersection, even in a, even in a residential neighborhood that you say, I, I try to get around that as often as I can. For me, it's this one. All right. And so I get there and sure enough, there's, there was a major accident there. No one was hurt. Both cars though were totaled. And it was one of those things too. And this is why she was shook up that it was literally centimeters, inches at the most away from if the impact had hit another place in the car we were going to have to probably, you know, call some paramedics and some ambulances. And uh, she's performing in Legally Blonde at the Civic Center downtown. And some of her castmates are, you know, she was driving them on a Sunday afternoon uh, to their rehearsal. And so, you know, people could have gotten injured. And the other driver had his sons, young sons with him in the back seat, And it was just, you know, it, 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 your initial inclination is, is everybody okay? And then when you find out everybody is okay... You got to start, you know, doing the math in your head. And you go, that's when I go into dad mode. Now we got to fix it. Got to figure it out. Right. So long story short, this accident happened a week ago, Sunday. So about 11 days ago. And in that short amount of time, last night I got done here with, with our stuff and production for the blaze CRTV and the other stuff we do. And I went right over to the, uh, uh, the place where we have bought, every car for the last several years because the guy who does the service department there, his name is Larry Jackson and he's awesome at customer service. And he has been at three different car lots the last 15 years. Every car we have bought has been with the dealership he works for at the time. Cause see a lot of people don't realize when you buy a car, the sales department, man, you're going to deal with them that one time. It's the relationship with the service department that matters after that. Right. And, um, we went over to uh, his uh, dealership, again, for the s- small portion of our audience that lives in Des Moines. That's Granger Motors right outside of Des Moines. And went and got Anna her replacement vehicle and drove it off the lot last night about uh, quarter to four in the afternoon. And which means close of business 10 days after this accident. EMC Insurance, which is our auto insurance company, EMC Insurance came in, was able to do the assessment. And, you know, let's be honest, since there weren't any serious injuries, that helped, of course. I understand that, all right? But still, you have an accident where two vehicles are totaled. And in the span, and so they're they're shelling out thousands of dollars for settlements here. And in the span of 10 days, they were able to do the assessment go over all the incident reports, accident reports, issue the check, and we were able to give Anna her replacement vehicle last night. I I just want to say Rick Croy, I think was the name of our agent at EMC, K-R-O-I-S, I I think is his name. And I know, man, and I've got no problem. To me, I don't, I have no problem and think none of you listening or watching me right now should have any problem being critical when criticism is called for. And what I mean by that is when someone has a job to do that they have agreed they will perform for you and they don't do it to the specifications they agreed that they would perform and keep their word, I don't know why we should be sheepish about being critical about that. We shouldn't. And we shouldn't be sheepish about the volume of criticism, meaning it's not your fault someone didn't do their job all these times. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, People used to tell me when I started early in my career, you're way too hard on the Republicans. I'm like, well, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, is what I'm saying true? 
If, it's, if what I'm saying is not true, be critical of me. If what I'm saying is true, be critical of them. So is what I'm saying true? Oh, it is? Then why is it my fault that they're not doing what they told us they were going to do? Whose fault should that probably be? Mine or theirs, do you think? Theirs. Mine ain't yours. Yeah, I mean, if you, don't, if you don't want my vote as a conservative, don't ask me for it. Don't say, hey, if you're a conservative and you vote Republican, we'll do A, B, C, or D, and then not do it. And then don't get mad at me, fellow conservative. I pointed out to you, they didn't do A, B, C, or D, or they did A, but not B, C, D, or E, or they did E, not A, B, C, and D. Whose fault is that? I, I'm not in office. I can't, I, can't cause, I, I'm not, I can't cause things to happen. I'm the voter. I cause things to happen on election day based off of what you tell me you're going to do if I give you the job. If I give you the job and you don't do the job, whose fault is that? Why is it my, my fault you didn't do your job? It's not my fault. It's yours. So it's not about whether I'm too hard on the Republicans. And that, that, that's, you know, those are the conversations you have at a booster club of your favorite college sports team. You know, well, should we really be this critical of the old alma mater? After all, they're not as bad as our rival. I mean, save that, you know, for, you know, Bubba the Love Sponge at the next booster club meeting. That's not how you run a country. Similarly, if you, if, if you get a lot of bad customer service and you keep giving people your money and they're not doing with it what you want them to do, it's not, you should be as critical as you want to be. You paid for the right to be critical. They don't want your business anymore. Stop taking your money. But when they do do it right, and to me, this wasn't just doing it right. I mean, this went, I mean, to have this all figured out, ironed out, and again, I recognize some of it had to do, they were able to expedite things when there's not a serious injury, you know? But to have, a ve- to have an accident where two vehicles are completely totaled, where we're looking on each side at thousands of dollars in damages, and to have the whole thing rectified and checks issued and the vehicle replaced in the span of 10 days, man, I just, I wanted to give EMC insurance some props for that. And here's what I want to know in the time I have remaining, especially if it's one of those industries, like if you've had a good customer service experience at DirecTV, please call. Because I don't believe those are possible right now. Or CenturyLink. Is that, is that your bane, CenturyLink? That's why I don't have CenturyLink anymore. I, I am convinced it's impossible to have a good customer service experience at DirecTV. I'm convinced of it. And one of the only reasons I'm still there is I'm trying to, I, I'm hanging around long enough to see if, if, if there is one. Like, it's, I'm, I almost, dun, 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 dun. I feel like Indiana Jones now. Like, I'm, 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 it, I'm on a quest to see. This, this 79th time I called DirecTV, A, will I understand what the person is saying? And B, will they be able to do what I need them to do? A good customer service experience at DirecTV happens very rarely. Well, in my experience, it's a dodo bird, but I'm, I'm told other people have had one. It just hasn't happened for me, right? If you have had a good customer service experience, 888-900-3393. If you want to give some hosannas to somebody, we've got a few minutes to take your call. 888-900-3393. You guys have any good customer service experiences that you feel like, you know what, man, I want to give somebody a helmet sticker. You know, for being um, as oh boy, I, I need to, I, I was gonna, ma- I was gonna make that a backhanded compliment, so I'm gonna lop off the first thing that I was gonna say. Apple, um, every cons- customer experience, uh, customer service experience I've had with Apple has been ex- outstanding. Uh, two immediately come out to mind, and it's not recently, but like when I first got my first macbook computer i screwed it up within like three hours (laughs) so i called them and within five minutes it was back up and running in college i had took i'd taken my um, macbook air 
down to Nashville for some audio competition, 36-hour competition thing. Within like three or... Boy, I sound like such an idiot now. Within like (laughs) three or four hours of the the competition starting, I'd spilled water all over it. (laughs) And so when I came back from the competition, it was still working, but it, it was weird. When I came back from the competition... I set up an appointment with the Apple store. I was going to pay for you know, them to put a new battery in. They did it for free, and I was out of there in like 15 minutes. So Apple in particular. One recently, though, there's this uh, chain of restaurants that's just basically a Chipotle knockoff here in Iowa called Poncheros. And uh, I've been only going there for a year. The, the reason I do is because I think it's better. Um, the queso at Poncheros because of the queso. is the bomb. Because of the queso. Yeah. And I actually, the last time I went there, which was last week or the week before, uh, I actually spoke to the manager and I complimented him because every single time it is the exact same thing. The product is the same. The restaurant is really, really clean. And it's just a good experience. I'm, there, I'm in and out of there really, really quick. There's uh, p- Part of that is because the time that I go usually. But uh, it was just, a, it, it's always been a great experience. And so I complimented the manager and he was uh he was happy to hear that Todd, we passed the sharing ball to you now yeah uh, yeah this is this is touching no uh there was one time you, you, you got me thinking you're gonna tell me that story about this one job you had with this really overbearing broadcaster oh i'm sorry go ahead <laughs> sure Sure. No, I want to keep my. I want to keep said job. Uh, no, uh, Steve got me thinking about uh, family. There was a time, uh, Steve. Have you ever eaten at the Flying Mango? No. What is that? It's here in town, local. Okay. Great, great oh. restaurant. But uh, at the time, I had two daughters, and one was under the age of uh, one. And uh, we're sitting there. It's an upscale uh, restaurant, uh, fairly small, fairly quaint. And uh, we're sitting there in Lazar in town having a good meal. And that one's starting to get a little fussy. And the uh, owner uh, slash uh, head chef uh, was, you know, making his rounds around the uh, dining room and uh, talking uh, to people and seeing how their food was. And he came over talking, kind of get a got a read of the thing. And he said, hey, can I help you guys out? Can I just, I'm walking around anyways. Can I just take your daughter and walk around? And so we, we can see him everywhere he goes. It's not that big a restaurant. He's going around chatting with uh, other people, holding my daughter who was a, she was just, she needed to move. Uh, and she was the kind of girl, little girl you could like pass off to quite a few people without her freaking out. It wasn't just a mom or a dad thing. Uh, little things like that, you know, reading moments. Um, so it's not just, a, I mean, we, I think there's one angle, the corporate angle, but even the small, uh, smaller chain or uh, homegrown customer service kind of thing. I mean, that's the reason people go back. You know, and that reminds me of a time uh, we had our our Christmas dinner was just ruined, and I don't have a lot, you know, too many fond memories of Dave, you know, kind of adjusting on the fly when things didn't go as planned. But he had this great idea of going out to this, uh, to go out to dinner. And my mom was totally stressed out. But the problem is it's Christmas, so not much is open. And all that was open was this Chinese place. Okay, I'm totally making this up. That's actually a Christmas story. But (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) But you know what, though? In all seriousness, I think we need to do this more often. Like, be nice. No. <laughs> Here and no further. Uh, we're humans. Uh, no, um, but like, 
I've been on this, as Clint, Clint Black once saying, this good run of bad luck with airline delays and everything else for the last few months. Like the first few years, man, I just never had any issues at all. And now it seems like if I don't fly anywhere, if I use any other airline but, but Delta, I'm just screwed, period, okay? And I will tweet to them, you know, on my Twitter account that has thousands of people on it to call them out. And I don't feel bad about it at all. And then, you know, um, when my oldest got, got a, sh- a chance to get a small role in a movie earlier this year, and we, same one who just had the accident. And so we got to fly down to Stillwater, Oklahoma, where they're filming the movie. And uh, we got six hours of delays, and I had to spend the night in the Dallas airport. And, I, and, and all I know is I, after sleeping on the floor of the DFW airport, I had these splotches all over my arm. Nice. So I don't know what else was down there. And I don't, in this case, no, I don't, I got to not know. I don't want to know. I don't know. I don't want to know what caused that. And we're just going to move on. Okay. We're just going to, you know, walk, a sh- whatever, whatever this, you're, you slept on a floor overnight by yourself. Walk of shame is I'm doing that. I'm just, I got up, looked at the splotches straight up my shirt, went over to my terminal and did the walk of shame. We're just going to forget that one happened. All right? I don't, I don't want to know what caused those to this day. I still am having night sweats, but anyway, um, I, the guy who had to give me the bad news and, and I mean, he did everything he could. I mean, it's just flying to Stillwater, Oklahoma ain't easy anyway. So I didn't have too many outs to get around this process he was so cool to me. And I'm like, you know what, man, I'm ripping this airline all the time. I'm going to jump on Twitter and I'm going to say thank you and put his name out there. Just little things like that. And I think if we are more, and I'm talking mainly to myself, if we're more intentional of complimenting people when they deserve it, then I think we have more credibility of holding, the, holding them accountable when they deserve that as well. Hour two is next. All right, back with hour two of the Steve Day Show here live on the Blaze on demand at CRTV. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Uh, and if you have time today, if you're listening to the podcast version on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, if you could leave us a five-star review, those help us to get the word out. Now, if you don't like the show, don't lie. But if you do, we would really appreciate a little affirmation. And if you can even just, you know, the, the quick gesture, if you haven't done this yet, of clicking that subscribe button, the more positive reviews, the more subscribers that uh, seekers of new podcasts see with this one, the more likely they are to hop on and uh, give us the opportunity to continue doing this each and every day for the Blaze and CRTV. So thank you as well to all of you that have already uh, done those two things. You are greatly appreciated. Theology Thursday is coming up here in a few minutes. But you know what? Especially because we're about to tackle one of the most contentious arguments uh, in the history of humankind that has been going on for now 501 years. I definitely think if we're going to ask people to give some positive feedback to fellow humans, we should do that before tackling this argument. All right, so 888-900-3393. Let's start with Robert in Pennsylvania. Robert, welcome to the Steve Day Show. You had a good customer service experience you want to share. Sure did, Steve. And before before I, I, I get into it a little bit, I just wanted to say welcome to the Blaze Network. I watch your show now, and I, uh, 
I, I, I love your take on uh, the current events in, the, in, in, in our country today. But in any event, Thank you, man. Customer service. My wife and I are retired and the kids are out of the house and grown, but we still have a precious little child in our home and that's our cat. And <laughs> I normally purchase stuff either in the malls or that or online anymore with Amazon pet care. And just the other day, I have this special fountain for the cat that she could drink running water like a waterfall and it's filtered and it's better than the water I drink. And mm -hmm. unfortunately I ran out of these special charcoal filters for it. I usually always bought it from Amazon or pet care and they're fine. And they would ship it in these little three pack bags for, with the logo of the company on it. Their drink well, platinum carbon replacement filters. Mm -hmm. Well, for some reason, I saw this thing on the computer and it had a, a, a thing up there, Chewy.com for your pet care. We guarantee our customer service is beyond anything you've ever experienced. So I went ahead and I ordered the thing online and they had a special offer for a 12 count rather than three. And the pricing, the price was fine. I'm not nickel diamond anything. I, I just cared about the product and getting it quickly. So I ordered it online, but I ordered a, a quantity of 12. So I'm anticipating four three-pack bags. In any event, two days later, in front of my door is this little brown box, and it's got 12, my 12 singular, or I thought was 12 singular filters. They were the true filters, but they weren't just specially in a bag. They were all set up in the box. And I counted them, and lo and behold, it was only 11. Now, that's not, that's not the end of the world. I was almost going to ignore it. But then I said to myself, I got a moment. They said they got 24-7 customer service. I'm going to call. So I called. And this is where my mind just went off the charts. I'm expecting the old way when you call somebody or whatever. You know what I'm talking about. I called, sure. and the phone rang twice just twice. I didn't get a robot. I didn't get a voicemail or a prompt. A human being anything. answered in two rings? Two rings, this young voice comes on the phone, and right away I said, oh my God, this sounds like, wow. And she greeted herself. She said, what can I do for you today? And before we get into it, so I don't put you through an ordeal, could you give me your order number? So I gave it to her. She instantly says, oh, you're Robert from Pennsylvania? I said, yeah. She says, well, how's the weather there in Pennsylvania today? I said, not bad. It's nice, nice sunny autumn day. So she goes, what, what's your concern? So I told her about, I know this may sound trivial to you, but I ordered these 12. And she says, okay, is there anything wrong? I said, well, you know what? There was only 11 in this box. Without even questioning me, without even asking for any more specifics, she goes, Robert, hopefully your cat is doing well. Hopefully these things are exactly what you want. I've already programmed into the computer. I'm sending you a total replacement. And I said, wait a minute. You're sending me a whole new order? Do you want me to ship this back? She said, oh, gosh, No. She said, I'm shipping you an, a full order at no cost. I said, wait, now you're making me feel guilty. 
I thought now you bought you 23 of them. Me, you just sent me a box, a pack of three. Now you think you're giving me 11 free? I feel guilty. She says, Robert, there is no such thing on your part as guilt. We screwed up and we value your business. We want you to be a customer, not just today, but whenever your cat needs TLC and we have the product and you want to purchase it from us, we want you to trust in us that we're, and we you've have got, your now, back now you know the time. name. You've got the number now, don't you, Robert? Yeah, hey, hey, You're gonna you keep, ready? Here's yeah. where it ended. This is Chewy.com, by the way, for okay. all those out there. that Here's what, what also blew it away. After she had done all this, I said, okay. So I hung up the phone. I'm thinking, okay. No. Steve, as God is my witness, that call was made at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. The following day at 12 noon, I opened my front door to go check the mailbox. And right there on my porch is another brown box with 12 new filters in it. I just So they did it next day air. Wow. I have no clue. It was on my porch at 12 noon the very next day. I just, it just blew my mind. Something that simple. And I know it's trivial. It had nothing to do with health care or anything like that. Sure. But you know what? It's tough to find good customer service anymore. And this thing just blew me off the chart. And watching your show today, you said you would like to accommodate those people out there that go out of their way. Well, I think she, this company went out of their way. And they deserve the and, props. Absolutely, based on what you shared with us, Robert. Thanks for the call, brother. Appreciate it. God bless. Take care. And you know what I like about conversations like this is this is not the theological debate we're about to have, but it would be very contentious as well. Because this, you're already wrong. Today is the official start of Christmas time. It's November first. Can I get an amen? Amen and amen. Thank you. Yes, it is the official start of Christmas time today. It's November first. The Christmas bah yeah bah humbug. It's the official. It, it, see, we switch spots on this show a lot. I have to lecture now the Catholic about. Um, sacraments and symbols and iconography Feast and days. relics. <laughs> yeah, so today, by the way, I'm going when I jump in my car this afternoon, we're done. You know, I'm I'm gonna go find the Christmas music channel on my Sirius XM because it debuts today. All right. Because it's November one. It's the, oh, it is it, November it, one. Yes, it's the start of oh, Christmas my. today. Yes. Christmas time starts today. And it's channel yeah. 70 in my ear. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so another Christmas slappy here. Nice. So one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies is Miracle on 34th Street. The original with Natalie Wood when she's a little girl. And when he is telling families, well, you know, we don't carry that toy here, but down there at Gimbel's they have it, or, or they actually have it for cheaper than us. And people are so impressed with the customer service that they actually keep going back to Macy's even when it doesn't have the stuff they want, just because they appreciate the fact you treated them so well. And that's what you just heard from Robert right there in Pennsylvania. He's like, man, I, 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 I bet you if they have dog stuff at Chewy.com, he's going to buy it. Because he's like, I don't even have a dog. I just think these are, these are good people and they're kind to you. And, and we don't have it. By golly, there's not enough love in this world. And we're the show to bring it. <laughs> also... Um, well let's do one more of these because it'd be terrible customer service to ask you to share your good customer service stories and then not put you on the air All right, so let's do one more Madeline is in Illinois 
Madeline, welcome to the Steve Day Show. How are you? Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm better than I deserve. You have a good customer service story for us? Yes, and one of the reasons that I get to watch you is because I have Dish, and Dish has Blaze, and I'm a, I listen to Blaze from morning till night. Anyhow, i uh, been having some problems. We didn't know if it was interference with the trees or what, and Dish called. I didn't call them. They called me and said, you know, we can see that you're having some problems. And mm-hmm. so they sent a technician out, and in order to get to the problem and do what he had to do, uh, I have what's called uh, in the basement, the room with a lot of boxes and everything, and I was going to have to move them. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I really didn't feel up to doing it. Uh, can we do it later? And they said, yes. Well, guess what? I thought we'd get another technician that really wasn't so good, but the manager of DISH called me and gave me his personal number and his personal extension and said, when I'm ready, they will send out one of their best technicians to get everything taken care of. Now, I don't want to change from Dish because Dish has Blaze, Mm -hmm. and I love the Blaze. (laughs) So, Madeline, I want to make sure I got this right. They they picked up on their end at Dish that you were having satellite receiver issues, and they called you unprompted? Yes. Yes. Yes, they did. Now I do believe might, in unicorns. Might have it's to, a Christmas miracle. Might have to switch to dish, Steve. It is officially <laughs> Christmas time. They called you. That's crazy. Yes, they good. called me. Wow. And they sent somebody out and they said there's no charge. And when they send the next guy out, there will be no charge. And I just happened. I think the moral I mean, of I, this story, Matt. Go ahead, Madeline. I can't, I can't switch because... Blaze is on Dish, and Blaze isn't on Direct or any of the other ones. So, well, I've I, been a Direct TV customer since since two thousand, for one reason only: the NFL Sunday Ticket. All right, so oh. I I think the moral of this story is: if you're a satellite Dish company, do not obtain exclusive rights to the NFL Sunday Ticket, because at that point you will become so arrogant that you don't believe you actually have to service your customers anymore. You will act like the, you'll treat them like the Republican Party treats their base. They that they have you have no other place to go, and you are entitled to their money, and you will treat them accordingly. Do I sound bitter? Now we're happy back. thoughts. A little happy now thoughts, back. Steve. All right, hey, thank you, Madeline, for sharing your story. God bless. All right, that's amazing. God bless you. Her. Could you imagine if you were if, if you got a call preemptively? Hey, we noticed something's wrong on our end, and we want to help you. Like if CenturyLink did that to you, Aaron, what would happen? It would be a scam. It, it's not, <laughs> that's the phone call that usually has something to do with a Nigerian prince yes. calling. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm stranded. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's get Theology Thursday underway. Thank you guys for, for sharing your customer service stories. We appreciate that. And we'll be back to ripping everybody tomorrow. So let's, let's get to Theology Thursday. We did, a, we did this show or versions of this conversation in various installments last year because last year was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And we got a lot of good reaction to these shows from people on every side of this theological argument because they kind of had heard some of the terms and stuff, but they didn't really know the context and had never really heard from a—I mean, Todd and I are laymen. You know, we're, we're fairly well studied, more than your average layman layman, but we're not theologians. 
um, nor do we play one on your Blaze TV or your CRTV. But we are people that are informed laymen, and so we've studied some of the theologians, et cetera, and some of the people at the core and crux of some of these arguments. And I think maybe that makes it a little bit easier for us to communicate them in a way that sort of brings them down to the level of the average person listening right now who just doesn't have time to read every volume of Calvin's Institutes and the Christian Religion, okay? So in honor of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation last year, and because frankly we were looking for anything to talk about other than today and Trump, all right? We were looking at, given the ridiculousness of some of the headlines, both pro and for Trump, we were looking for content ideas last year to not talk about this all the time, and we thought this would be a pretty good one, all right? So it was the 500th anniversary, and given the fact we've got a staunch Catholic and a staunch evangelical here, then we can approach this from both sides of the conversation. <clears throat> and if you have not heard those shows, we're not, we're not going to have time today to go as in-depth on some of these things that we did when it came up last year, but go back to those podcasts and listen to them. I would highly recommend it. I didn't actually plan for us, sorry about that, drop my pen. I didn't actually plan for us to talk about this today. Um, because we, I thought we had kind of gone over it before, even though we brought in all this new audience from the Blaze to our previous show. But I, I watched on Twitter the last couple of days people who have a similar uh, following in social media to us, either sharing their thoughts on the Reformation or in, in, a, in a couple of cases, actually going back and forth with each other on it. And I've gotten some questions because we have similar followings to some of these people asking us what we think, that I thought it might be, might be a good idea if, if we did sort of Reformation 101, kind of a basic remedial class on this, for those of you that are intellectually curious about it and why it's an important and still at times contentious debate hundreds of years later, 501 years later now. And <clears throat> I thought that would make for a good Theology Thursday today because I think we're, we can do this in a way that doesn't pull any punches but takes some of the personalities and some of the other stuff out of it and gets to the heart of really what the debate was about, okay? So let's set the historical context. And as we did when you, we had these conversations a year ago, Todd, if at any point you sense I am flaming or trolling or straw, man, straw manning, it, you, by golly, you have permission to interrupt and throw the flag, okay? So I want to set the stage here. The year is the year's 1517. All right. And Western civilization, which was essentially a creation of the Catholic Church. The the Catholic Church basically cult terraformed Europe culturally with with Judeo-Christian morality, church teaching, tradition, etc. Took a lot of the old Greco-Roman and just flat out Druidic or pagan or Norse. Uh, religions and theologies, and <clears throat> excuse me, converted them to Christianity. And during the course of this time period, at the tail end, you then had periods known as the Crusades. I know a lot of you have been sold on the Crusades as a, a terrible chapter in church history, and there there are terrible chapters to that history. But the Crusades were actually began as a defensive gesture against Islamic incursions into, into what was called back then Christendom, or the portions of, the, of, of civilization that the Catholic Church, because we're, we're pre-Reformation, so there's really, only, well, there's the Greek Orthodox Church, 
but for the most of Christian, the vast majority of Christianity until the 16th century was the Catholic Church. Okay, and so essentially, inspirations and elements and offsetting off, offshoots of the Catholic Church were called together, and they had, they had actually done this before, um, the, before the Crusades. And this is what I would argue was sort of the beginning of Western civilization. Uh, and, and I don't remember who the German, I know it wasn't Charlemagne, but who the, you might remember who the German ruler was, uh, who had the most dominant standing army in Europe at the time. And the Pope at that time came to him and said, you know, uh, the Moors, that's the Muslims, are like five minutes from uh, Paris. And Rome is next. And if we don't join together, you know, we don't know how to, we in the church don't know how to run an army. You do. But we know how to give you that. We can, we can give you the troops for an army. We're the largest movement in the world. We're the church. Okay? If we don't work together here, um, we're all going to need prayer mats and going to need to learn to speak Arabic here pretty soon. Right? Do I have this right so far? Yeah. yeah. And this essentially— this I think pu- it was a King Henry of some number, okay. I think. And so this original pushback of Islamic incursion into Christendom, really, then once the Muslims were pushed out— what came out of this essentially became what became what was known as Western civilization, a partnership of the two of, of in, in, the, in, in a lot of Catholic um, civic hermeneutic. It's two spheres, as, as, as uh, Augustine would have described it, the city of man and the city of God. And so you had the civic sphere and you had the church sphere and they not always perfectly because human nature is not perfect, but for the, for, they, for, for most of the way did a good job of complementing each other to create what was at that point in human history, the most flourishing system of, of, of humankind of all time. But then we had another Islamic incursion known as the Crusades. We had the Black Plagues, okay? Um, and so we go through what's now called, before this as well, you had the Dark Ages. And so out of this now, Western civilization, through the toll it has taken from um, the Dark Ages, through pushing back on Islam again in the Crusades, uh, and then also through the plagues, Western civilization is, at the very least, is it fair to say, in a state of disrepair, if not hanging by a string. It has some issues. Yes. All right? Out of this historical backdrop is important to understand because you need to know what the state of the conflict within the church was at the time that the Reformation took place. One of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard speak in person said something, and you'll, if, if you're new to our show, you haven't heard me say this yet, but if you aren't new, you've heard me say it a ton, and if you're new, you're going to hear me say it a lot more as the time goes on. Text without context is pretext. It is important to understand this historical context surrounding the Reformation so that you don't just think that some, you know, rabble-rousing, you know, Jesuit or Augustinian monk named Martin Luther one day just had a wild hair and started questioning things. There's a lot of discontentment happening societally all throughout what was known as the West at this point in time. All right. Now John Huss and John Wycliffe precede him by a hundred yes, years. Yes, he wasn't so. even the first original reformer. That's correct. Right. Um, you know, single motherhood, we talk about how this is a this is a problem in our society nowadays. It was a problem in their society too, not because of out of wedlock births, but because because the men were dying in war and disease. Poverty was rampant. All right, and at this point in time, the church was undergoing an effort to renovate 
St. Peter's Basilica, who was the guy, um, he even had like a limerick. And he was, traveling the, oh, yeah. he was traveling across Europe. He was an emissary of the church, traveling across Europe, that essentially was, was, was I guess we would call, do you think it's safe to say a 16th century version of a, of a, one of, those, of, a, of a Joel Osteen prosperity gospel kind of a hack? Would you say that's a, a fair assessment? Basically, if you donated, the, I don't remember what the, what the limerick was, but, but the, the gist of it was, if you donated money towards the refitting... Tetzel. Uh, Tetzel, Tetzel, thank you. Yeah. Yep. If you donated money towards the refitting of uh, the renovation of St. Peter's Cathedral, then uh, the Pope would then uh, use an, give you an indulgence to buy your loved ones. Was it right out of hell or just purgatory? It was a purgatory and hell. I don't remember. Do you remember? Well, you have enough of the gist in there that okay. it was uh, while the church continues to this day to believe, uh, uh, to teach indulgences, he took a church teaching and, you know, put it in a, a, a carnival mirror, basically. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. He was literally all. selling salvation yes. for urban renewal. As soon as a coin in the coffer rings the soul from Purgatory Spring. That's the limerick right there. Thank you. All right. And so this was highly visible, controversial at this time in, 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 in European history. Out of this environment comes a young Augustinian monk who's brilliant. Father wanted him to be a lawyer uh, and not to join the ministry. He decided to join the ministry instead. And what do I mean by Augustinian? Well, if you don't understand uh, Catholic ecclesiology or hierarchy, there's orders of ministry, all right? Orders of priests, all right? And so by being an Augustinian monk, that meant he was from an Augustinian branch. Augustinian short for Augustine, right? One of, in my view, maybe still, other than Paul himself, the greatest human theologian in the history of the Christian church, all right? So um, out, of, out of this August, this order of, he becomes an Augustinian monk, by the way, and gets ordained without ever actually doing serious study of scripture. So one of the things he is given is a mission to go to Europe to deliver some official, or to Rome, to deliver some official uh, orders uh, there. I don't remember exactly what they, what, the, what they pertain to. While he was there, um, he is appalled at what he sees. Because as he travels through the streets, he sees priests cavorting with prostitutes, um, uh, essentially behaving very immorally. And he is, he's just blown away by this. Where he comes from, you know, priests are taking vows of, cha- of, of poverty, chastity, are living, you know, very humble lives. And he is appalled at the avarice and the hedonism that he views from, that he sees with his own eyes from the priesthood uh, in Rome. He also gets his first opportunity to truly study the scriptures. At this point in human history, um, you, uh, the edict that, you, that the Bible could only be written in Latin still existed at this time, Correct. So if it was not directly from St. Jerome's uh, Latin Vulgate translation of, of the original scriptures, that's if, and if you didn't know Latin, and that was a language that you know, not everybody got a chance to know, not everybody was even educated back then. So this is, I'm, I'm right on this so far, right? Yeah, but not only you're not educated, people weren't literate. Right, right. So he's never had a chance, he, he, he in the countrysides of, of Germany doesn't have a chance to have access as a young monk uh, to, um, you know, Latin handwritten, because this is pre-printing press, so Latin handcrafted copies of the scriptures. While in Rome, he gets his first opportunity to truly study them. And keep in mind, as he's watched, he's, he's, he's already witnessed 
the modeling of a certain, of a theology that he's been taught. And the people that have modeled it to him haven't done so in a way that affirms the theology that he's been taught. So right away, the skeptic has kicked in. This is not a, this is the same tale that happens now when the church lets people down, okay? And he starts studying Paul's letter, which is, um, we'll just call it a letter. Sometimes they use a fancy theological term for it. You just need to know that they're called letters, okay? And he starts studying Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And he doesn't even get through chapter one. He gets to verse 17 of chapter one, I think it is. And it says, and the righteous shall live by faith or justified by faith. And Luther would go on to say that was the verse that sparked the Reformation. That's what, that began grinding the gears in his mind to start asking questions. He goes back home to Germany. He is now teaching at a college in Wittenberg. And he now has an opportunity to study the scriptures academically, etc. And one day, uh, All Hallows' Eve, which is a sacred day in the Catholic Church, so October 31st of 1517, he goes to the door of his college, which is, you know, we have bulletin boards at universities to this day where you would go to, you know, if somebody's looking for a roommate or selling their car or they need a ride or, you know, if there's a, if you know, if I need help with my English homework, I'm looking for a tutor. This is a college like we have in this day and age. And this is where you, you went to the door, you know, where, where you posted the things you thought that you wanted discussed on campus or to be contemplated. And he asks for a disputation, which is an academic term for a dialogue, okay, a discussion. And in his request for this disputation, he nails to the door um, and it appears that he did look because nailing to us sounds like a really dramatic thing. Guys, they didn't have thumbtacks. Okay. So everything on the bulletin board at Wittenberg College was nailed to the. I know we have this scene of this angry monk have three sheets to the wind after his seventh beer at the pub. And that would have been a light day for Luther. All right. Showing up, he's had enough. And he grabs a dramatic statement and he takes a hammer and a nail. To the, it, it, they didn't have thumbtacks. All right. So everything was, everything was kind of nailed to the door. They didn't have masking tape, scotch child, tape. Thank you for ruining my child. <laughs> everything. All right. This, what happened later was dramatic, but this was just another thing nailed to the door. Everything was nailed. Okay. So he puts up on the door what he calls 95 theses. Some of them are questions. Many of them are statements, things that he believes need to be discussed at the church, according to the scriptures are essentially an error. And this, this is, if you know your Chicago fire historical analogy, this is the cow that kicks over Mrs. O'Leary's lantern. This is Lexington and Concord. This is the spark. All right. That begins a whole chain of events. Uh, that lasted for years uh, and has repercussions to this very day known as the Protestant Reformation. And when we sit here centuries later, when the History Channel did its top 100 people of the millennium, two of the top three people of the millennium were Johannes Gutenberg and Martin Luther. Why? Because Gutenberg created the printing press that let Luther get his message out to the masses for the Reformation. And it really centered around five arguments. And we're going to talk about those five arguments here when we come back.
right, back here on the Steve Day Show, live on The Blaze, on demand at CRTV. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. So for Theology Thursday, we're doing a little crash course on the Reformation, which celebrated its 501st anniversary yesterday. And even though we've gone over some of this subject matter in depth, more in depth than we are right now before, since it's propped up on a lot of uh, conservative social media uh, over the last uh, couple of days, and uh, it's come up within uh, people's uh, social media feeds that follow that you follow uh, alongside us. And we've gotten some questions about it. And since we've got a staunch Catholic and a staunch evangelical here that can answer and look at it from both sides of the argument, we thought we'd kind of do a little refresher today for Theology Thursday. So just to reiterate, we've kind of set the, the cultural scene here of history that much of what we know as uh, civil Judeo-Christian inspired living in the West came from and was spawned by the Catholic Church. We get through the Middle Ages, we get through the Crusades, Inquisitions, uh, and the Church is in a state of decline, and as a result, Western civilization is in a state of disrepair, uh, and is kind of hanging by a thread. And this Catholic monk from the Order of Augustine starts studying the Scriptures, and in his mind, he's doing a reformation, he's doing a reforming. Not a replacement. In his mind, he, if Luther were here today, he would probably tell you most of what he advocated for theologically is what Augustine was writing hundreds and hundreds of years before. He wanted to reform, to go back again to where we were before, is what he would probably say were most of his arguments. The problem when, with, with re-arguing the Reformation is that because of the personalities involved, Luther... Um, had a very incendiary personality uh, that it's almost impossible to not have emotion cloud the argument. So we're going to do our best for the remainder of this conversation to just skip all of that. Because in the end, this isn't about Erasmus or Luther, or it's, it's not about, um, uh, it, you know, the the family that took over the papacy that at this time in history that inspired Machiavelli to write the prince in a bad way. Uh, it's it's we we can get into the tribalism and the and the personalities and everything will get emotional and we're going to lose the real arguments that occurred here because the arguments that occurred here. If the Catholic Church spawned Western civilization, many of the arguments that spawn the idea and concepts of self-government and individual liberty that we take for granted that helped fund the country found this country came out of the reformation. So it's centered really on five arguments. All right. The first would be grace alone. All right. Or, well, well, I'll leave the Latin terms out grace alone. And this idea is that it is by grace alone, the unmerited favor of God, unmerited being the key word there, the unmerited favor of God. There is nothing you have earned. In order to please God, you cannot please God. You cannot. So it is by the unmerited favor alone of the grace of God. He gave you something you do not deserve. That you are saved from your sins and you can come into a relationship with him. You have any differences or issues with that as a Catholic? No, and Catholics uh, showed they believed as much before all this started by declaring Pelagianism a heresy. Pelagianism was what? Because the audience has heard me use that term, refer to Pelagius in the past. You want to give them a— Well, 
it, you already you already said it, it it's basically through uh various works that you can i mean again allow both of us to talk somewhat loosely uh because i don't have uh, the exact definition in front of me um we just don't want to play gotcha with terms mm-hmm. but that you can you can uh earn your salvation on some level this is an important distinction all right because I've had some of my Protestant friends, as you and I have been having these conversations all throughout last year, you're going easy on him. No, you want me to argue points based on what you think he believes. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to argue with him based on what he actually believes. That's why I didn't, I didn't, ask, I didn't tell you, here's what Catholics think of grace alone. I just asked one. Okay, so I'm going to let, I'm gonna let uh, and that's one of the reasons why we struggle with having arguments today. We want to speak for the other side of the argument. Let the other side of the argument speak for itself. It's like James says, every Catholic's favorite book in the New Testament, Lord gave you two ears and one tongue for a reason. (laughs) All right? So listen to what the other side of the argument says, and then wait until they say something you disagree with. Stick with me now, all right? Here's my big idea for November 1. First day of Christmas time. Here's your Christmas miracle of the day on the Steve Day Show. Ready? You guys ready? Write this one down. It's best I got. Wait until somebody says something you disagree with before you disagree. Guys, that is nuts. I am a freaking shaman. That's what I am right now. Yoshi, that's what I want to be called from here on out. Yoshi, follow me. All right? Wait until somebody says something you disagree with before you disagree. So what did I do? I stated as best as I could the a layman's understanding of what grace alone means. I clearly defined it. I then asked my Catholic friend, do you agree with that? What, what, what's your position on that? And then he articulated that he agreed. So Aaron, as the deciding vote, what should we now argue over, do you think? Which the part, um, part where he didn't agree with me the way I wanted him to or no, not quite enough, do you um, think? Um, which, which level of hell is Todd going to for being a Catholic? That's what we should argue about yes. now. Yeah. And that go. we are alienated from the true church. We can yeah. argue about that. Yes. I was very disappointed when we had these conversations last year that it took many weeks before finally I did have a Catholic email me to tell me I'm unsaved because I'm not confirmed to the church. Because I know you've, we've gotten like 50 of those the other way. Yeah. And I really felt compelled to kind of at least get a few on my end, you know. get I need some like ghetto passes. Somebody condemn me. All right, please. Okay. All right, so grace alone is the first one. And to put okay. a finer point on what you're talking about regarding this, grace alone, uh, we, how we here on this mortal coil uh, get through uh, – uh, the the glass see through the glass darkly connect mm-hmm. with the things of heaven i mean mm-hmm. that, that's that's a a, a classic conversation uh, prayer um catholics again have the sacraments indulgences fall into that category catholic uh, the very broad sense it, that is another tool how do we connect with the grace of heaven not how do we earn the grace of heaven, how do we connect with it? That is a different thing. And that, again, was bent out of all recognition uh, by Tetzel. To very, it very much came about the jingling in your pocket, how much cash you had on hand. It, it, but it, indulgences, more broadly speaking, in the Catholic sense, again, this, and this is making Steve's point about what we believe, it is about how not you earn heaven, it's how you connect with heaven here on earth. The reason... Through Tetzel, Luther attacked the church for selling the for telling people the idea they can buy or earn or or purchase their way into heaven is because that's exactly what Tetzel was 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 doing. 
That's, that's why that happened, okay? Number two, there's five of these creeds, okay? Number two, Christ alone is the atonement for your sins that God requires and will accept in order for you to then receive grace. There is no other atonement you can make. You cannot go out there and say, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slaughter my microphone to atone for my sins. The only atonement that God will receive and accept henceforth in human history, since Calvary, since the cross, the only atonement that God will receive that will absolve you of your sins is and redeem you for grace is the sacrifice and atonement, the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, period. Okay? Your thoughts on that as a Catholic? Uh, Not only do we not have any disagreement with that uh, uh, whatsoever, but to bring up a different, perhaps, theological point, Catholics believe in that so much that— Actually, there's probably several different strains of Protestantism that do that, but in all Catholic churches, you don't just get a shiny silver or gold cross. You get a cross with a bloody human being on it because we believe in what Steve said so much. It's called the crucifix. So the first two, we agree. That doesn't mean we agree on all of this. The next two, we're probably not going to agree, all right? Uh, And it's going to be really one word that's going to cause the disagreement, I think, in both of these. The next one, faith alone. That only by faith and not by works are you justified, meaning you have, you have, you are certified. You have the evidence, the you know, and, and the reason this is this is crucial is because Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. What is the fruit? It is the result of a planting, the result of a tilling, of a nurturing, of a pruning. All right, and then once a tree has been planted properly, treated righteously, it will then produce good fruit, okay? And that this is only done by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not something that you do, meaning after you're saved, you then don't go back and say, here's all the good deeds I did to show that I am saved, all right? That that it is the faith it is it is the faith you have the Holy Spirit within you that produces the fruit, the the it's not the other way around. You think of you your position on that as a Catholic would be what? Well, faith a notion of faith alone was already a problem for centuries within uh, the Catholic Church because you had intellectual a sense to, and, and is there any. Um, uh, greater uh, the, uh, example here than the first um, uh, Catholic uh, emperor, Constantine, an intellectual ascent, an ascent so much that he rallied uh, 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 troops to the cause under the banner of Christ, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the various uh, reshaping of a Roman law to protect uh, uh, Christians, but what he did not do until his uh, late in his late at his deathbed is get baptized, um, because uh, not and not and this is not just the sacramental work of baptism, but it's about way more than an intellectual scent. It's about what w- the entire shape of your life. Faith without works is dead. Is pointing out to the fact that this is an all-encompassing work. And again, I just point back to that crucifix. How is this faith enfleshed? 
That, and I, so this is not this was not just an issue that came up with the Reformation. This was an issue, a timeless issue amongst uh, Catholics. What does your faith look like? What is the meat on the bone? One of the things I think that that Protestants who don't have a background with Catholicism or haven't studied it probably don't understand is. Um, it's not. It's not that I think. If I thought. If I agreed with the Catholic argument on this, what would I be? Catholic. Catholic. But I think it's similar to what we kind of talk about with Trump. I have no problem with criticizing Trump. I just think some of the criti- several, most of the criticisms that run on MSNBC are dumb. They're the wrong ones. I could do all kind. I could do a whole show with legitimate criticisms. But but they they want to criticize him for the things they want to criticize him for. Maybe more than the things that he has, from their point of view, actually mm-hmm. opened himself up to be critical of. Many Protestants have a misnomer that the this this sacramental system, the intent of it, is so that I can work use that system to work through to work to earn my justification uh, by by never by continually getting on the sin master and 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 working off some calories. Again, you have to accept people's positions for what you can't tell somebody else what their belief system is. It's their belief system. They 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 kind of tell you, right? You guys don't see it that way. You don't see these as I get to live all the way I want all week long and then just go in and do a few Hail Marys and a couple of uh, our fathers and then uh, you know, all's forgiven and I go right back to the best little whorehouse in Texas on Monday. That you guys see these when they are pri- applied in an orthodox manner, you see these as reminders of the continuing need to work out your salvation in fear and trembling because of the cost that Christ paid at the cross. That's the way you see that. Well, more than reminders, they are, they are one of the primary gateways to the grace that, as we just said, we, grace alone, we utterly believe it. That's one of the primary ways we tap into that. Okay. And that's probably where we would then have the argument, is do I need— do I— I the the scriptures say I can boldly approach the throne of grace as an individual on my own. That I don't I do not need an intermediary. I don't I don't need a system. No matter how inspired it may be, there's no barrier. The veil is torn. There's no longer a barrier between me and my Savior. I it's a closer walk with Thee. That would be one of the arguments we would have. It'd be a good argument. We'd at least respond initially. Well, the the scripture is also a system as well. Correct. But here's why it would be a good argument. It would be the actual argument, as opposed yes. to most of the arguments yes. we actually hear. All right. Again, I have. No, it's not that I have a problem disagreeing with him. It's just most of what you people want us to disagree about are stereotypes, and not what the actual arguments are. Absolutely. All right? That's why I want us to define where we're actually at on this. The biggest argument of them all is Scripture alone, or is it in Latin, sola scriptura? And this is not Scripture only. All right. So it's not solo. Meaning, I, I can't learn how to do open heart surgery from studying God's word. All right, it is sola, meaning alone, meaning it is a primary. That when there is a conflict of ultimate truth, wisdom, and ethics between the things of this world and the scriptures, the scriptures are supreme. They are the prime directive, if you will. Okay, that scripture alone is the ultimate authority uh, on matters of conscience, truth. Etc. When there, when anything else comes into conflict with that, you you guys think what? Kind of right. That's a kind of statement. It's it's not the ultimate authority, but it is a primary authority 
along with uh, uh, tradition, Big T, and the magisterium of the church. And one of the reasons we point back to is, to prove that, is, wow, mind scrambler, scripture, where scripture regularly uh, uh, talks about uh, the things that were said and done uh, that were not— written down uh, in these books. And it, it does lay out uh, the the obvious layout of something resembling uh, a church hierarchy where we get modern words, you know, e- e- ecclesiastical uh, words, uh, 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 dimin- uh, um, a priest, episcopoi, uh, mm-hmm. th- things like that. Those words are well within scripture. Something resembling a, a structure, a hierarchy, uh, was there, and Scripture tells us it was there. So, um, again, I point back to Steve because he does this. Uh, it, it's so fair in how he keeps reminding us. It, it, that is a reminder. It, you start there with an actual discussion. Um, it's actually in Scripture uh, on some degree. You have to be at least honest about that uh, before you depart um, and uh, go off and simply saying that the ch- a structural church beyond the individual um, relationship that you talk with with heaven is somehow meant to just keep the man down. I, I just, that's not an honest starting point. I think that's why I started off by talking about what the state of the church was that Luther witnessed with his own eyes. And hey, preach, okay. because we live in one of those times like right now. This is why, this is why if you're— if you're a veteran of this show, you've heard Todd say, you've heard me say, joke to Todd, but only half joking. If you want me to join the Catholic Church, come back to me when you guys are actually the Catholic Church. My yes. issue with Catholicism is 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 actually I want to see Catholicism. What is the point of having the infrastructure that you just laid out to let heretics just roam this countryside with their preach waving high, banners? Preach it I mean, low. Wh- I mean, if you're going to have this magisterium, I want to see justice, man. I want to see the excommunications begin until morale improves. Otherwise, it's a bu- that's the difference between a movement and a bureaucracy. A bureaucracy is marking time, it's filling slots, and it's collecting money. Uh, a, a movement uses that in... I mean, not all bureaucracy is bad. Your founding fathers gave you three branches of government. That's a bureaucracy, <laughs> all right? Because they wanted the wheels to move slowly so that we wouldn't be radicalized instantly. But ultimately, they gave you remedies that if people go really off the reservation, we can do stuff about it, right? Where When, when those things aren't enforced... So, so if... if would Luther, I'm not saying that things would have been different. I think, though, if he might have been less inclined to take such a radical posture, if he had actually seen the priesthood that he held in high regard and has his elders living out the very disciplines that, he would, that were instilled in him at, at the monastery and at the seminaries where he had studied to become a priest. And since he, he did, and since he did not, well, then that opens up Pandora's box from there. Absolutely. Okay? This one's the most contentious argument, I would argue. The last one we would agree on, that ultimately the purpose of human life is for the glory of God alone. That's the purpose of human life. It's primary purpose. It's primary purpose is to do that. So the point of this conversation was not for to win an argument, but to start one, to help. And now from there, by, by means, go do your own research. It's a fascinating topic and one of the most important you can study. John 3.17. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.